my privilege uh, to share God's word with you again this morning. And as you can see, we're going to be looking at a series for probably the next six to eight weeks, I think possibly longer. We'll just see how it goes and how God leads us. But I felt for a while just to uh, do something around the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to do a series, like I said, uh, for the next six or eight weeks, just looking at different angles, uh, who the Holy Spirit is, how we can understand Him, what He does in our lives, how He empowers us, what are the gifts that He gives us, all these kind of things that we can um, explore. And so I'm going to start this morning with a, a real introduction, a very simple introduction, and I hope it will already just stimulate your thinking and help you as you contemplate the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit in your own life. And I've called this series the person and power of the Holy Spirit. And if you remember in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, we know that scripture well, where, where Paul writes and he says that God, through His grace, has gifted the church with a number of gifts. And he says these gifts really are people. And uh, there are five of them that you know well, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. It's my conviction that those gifts are preaching gifts that God gives to His church. And He says in Ephesians chapter 4 that He gives those gifts to the church to equip God's people, so that's you and I, every single one of us in, in local church congregations, to, to equip God's people for works of service. So that's why He gives these gifts, by the power of His Spirit. He gives these gifts through people to strengthen the church, to equip the church, to, to encourage the church so that the church can get on and do what, the, what God has called the church to do. So every one of us is empowered by the Holy Spirit in some way. And so that's why I'd like to um, look with you how the Holy Spirit empowers us to live this life uh, as His church, to build up, it says these gifts are given to build up, to edify, to strengthen, to encourage God's people. And that's really the heart of why I want to do this um, series. And so I'd like to tie it into something that I preached at Christmas time. Um, you remember we looked at the incarnation. We looked at God coming in the form of a baby, living uh, amongst us, and that the, really the miracle of Christmas is that God in, incarnated Himself. He came in the flesh, in flesh, to dwell amongst us. And uh, that really is the, the mystery of the gospel, isn't it? That God would do that. That God would become a man and live amongst us. And there really is more than that there's this mystery of the Trinity, God in three persons, God made man, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so as an introduction, I'd like to just root what I'm going to say in the Trinity uh, when we, as we contemplate this question, who is the Holy Spirit? Um, and I think there's an assumption in the church that because there's somewhat of a mystery around the Trinity and the doctrine of the Trinity, that we can kind of live our lives quite happily and get on pretty much without understanding the Trinity. Um, and I think, sadly, something of that practice is reflected in the church. Uh, I love what Tim Keller says. Keller says this, The gospel has been described as a pool in which a toddler can wade and yet an elephant can swim. 
That's true about the gospel, isn't it? You can understand it on, on one level, but there are multi-layers of the gospel that we can understand and the fullness of the gospel that we can understand in our lives. And part of that is coming to terms with who the Trinity is. And as I've been thinking about it, there are some formal prayers in the Anglican Church, for example, that recite the creed of the Trinity, uh, but there are rarely any messages preached on the Trinity, for example. Can you remember the last time that someone preached on the Trinity? Well, I do most of the preaching in this church, and so to my shame, I can say I haven't preached on the Trinity very much. Um, but remember the, the, the um, scripture that we looked at over Christmas was John chapter 14, uh, uh, John chapter 1, which talks about God coming, the Word made flesh. And so I'd like to use another scripture out of John this morning, John 14, 16, which simply says this, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Isn't that wonderful? God's promise is that after Jesus ascended back to heaven, He would give us another helper, someone exactly like Jesus, to be with us forever. I find that incredibly encouraging. And so, as John introduces at the beginning of his gospel, he introduces this, the idea of the Trinity, of, of Father God and God the Son. Um, he, he begins with these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yeah? And what does that mean? Well, it means, first of all, it speaks of the eternity of the Word. In the beginning was the Word. So before uh, anything began, the Word was with God. Secondly, it speaks not only of the eternity of the Word, but it speaks of the personality of the Word. It says, the Word was God. And so we immediately understand that what John is talking about is a person. The Word of God has personal is a personality. And uh, that we need to understand immediately as well. And that the God the Father and the person of the Word are in relationship. Thirdly, it says, the Word was God. And so we immediately, John introduces us and says, actually, this person of the Word is divine. He's exactly like God. Alright? And so, although he's distinct from the Father, he's not a created creature, he is divine in himself. As the Father is divine, so the Word is divine. And then he goes on, fourthly, to say, through him all things were made. In other words, through the Word of God, everything is created. Everything that we see around us, uh, everything the Father made, the Word was the agent of God. And as uh, He spoke, all things were made through Him. That's the fourth thing we can learn from this little introduction. And fifthly, it says in verse 4 of John chapter 1, In Him was life. And so the Word of God brings life to everything. There's no physical life in all that has been created and everything that we see that was created apart from Him. And so it's, it's so crucial for us to understand that the Bible answers all these questions about the origin of life, the continuing of life, in all of its forms, and all life, everything that we see, everything that's been created, was created, according to the Scripture, by the Word. And so... Created things don't have life in themselves, but they have life in the Word. And the Word is the second person of the Trinity, who is, we will find out now, Jesus. That's why Paul says, in Christ 
we live and move and have our being. That's the language Paul uses. He's saying it's Jesus who's created us. Jesus enables us to live. Jesus sustains us. Everything that we see, the very fact that my heart is beating right now, this life was given to me by the person of Jesus. In Him, I'm created, I live, I move, I have my being, and my future is secure in Him. And then he says in verse, uh, the sixth thing he says, he says, the life was the light of men. And so again, uh, he's, he's saying so many complex things in this very simple sentence, John. He's basically saying that the light reveals things to us. And so the light, the Word, is the light of men that reveals God's truth to us, and He gives life to us through that light. And lastly, in the, the seventh thing he says is the Word became flesh. And that is the mystery of the Incarnation that we celebrated over Christmas. So all that um, John has been trying to paint this picture of, he says that eternal Word, that divine Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us and that is the person of Jesus. So here we have this amazing introduction in John's Gospel, right at the beginning of his Gospel, describing something of the Trinity. But he doesn't just leave it there. Because we understand quite clearly from that he's talking about God the Father and, and God the Son, and the two of them are one. But he doesn't leave it there, because then, as I've read already, in John chapter 14, he says that he, God's promise to us is that he would give us another helper, to be with us forever, and that is the Holy Spirit. And so, I'm always fascinated by the language of the Bible. It's so descriptive, isn't it? And um, G John uses this word helper here. Uh, if you look at other translations, you can see the Holy Spirit, the word for the Holy Spirit is translated as comforter. Uh, translated some in other places as counselor, translated in other places as helper, advocate. Uh, there are many ways we can describe the person of the Holy Spirit, but the point is in all of that language, what God is saying is, uh, He's leaving us, He's sending um, the Holy Spirit to us, the person of the Holy Spirit, to encourage us, to support us, to care for us, to assist us, to take an interest in our lives and in our welfare in our welfare in exactly the same way as Jesus did when he walked amongst us. Isn't that an incredible thing? That's the, the promise of God and the person of the Holy Spirit is saying in exactly the same way that Jesus was with you to be your comforter, your advocate, to stand with you, to help you. I am giving you, I am leaving with you another helper. The person of the Holy Spirit will be Jesus to you in exactly the same way as Jesus was when he was amongst you. That is incredible. That's the promise. And I want to encourage all of us, that's how God wants us to get to know the person of the Holy Spirit. In that intimate way, in that way that we can see in our lives on a day-to-day -day basis how God is encouraging us, standing with us, speaking to us, refreshing us in the person of the Holy Spirit. How many of you need the encouragement of God in your lives? I put both of my hands up. Well, I want to put it to you as we go on a journey together as this local church, that as we come to understand more and more of the Holy Spirit, the one who God has left with us, who is with us, we will learn more and more of His comfort, His encouragement, His sustaining power in our lives, day by day. Amen? And so I find it remarkable that Jesus says, just as I cared for you, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to care for you in exactly the same way. That brings incredible comfort to me. Um, I've got all croaky. Sorry about that. <laughs> 
And so, Jesus goes on in verse 17 and verse 26 of John chapter 14. And he gives a name to this comforter. He says, he calls the comforter the spirit of truth. He also then goes on in verse 17 and verse 26 to, to call the comforter the Holy Spirit. And again, those words make it quite clear that what, what John is describing is a de- the deity of God in the person of the Spirit, Holy Spirit. Um, if you look in the Old Testament, whenever God's Spirit is mentioned, it's, it's talking about the, the breath of God. Uh, and, and through the breath of God, we see God's power in action. And that's what J.R. Packer says. He says in the Old Testament, when we, the Holy Spirit is, is described, it's always the breath of God. For example, in the account of creation, and in Genesis 1 verse 2, it says, this, the scripture says, the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. And the word there is, is the translation for breath. The breath of God was hovering over the water and God said, let there be light and there was light. And so we see in the Old Testament that the the Holy Spirit is involved in creating everything that we see. The breath of God is the thing that brings life and God speaks and everything is created. Uh, What about Psalm 33 verse 6? It says this, by the word of the Lord, all the heavens were made and all the stars by the Spirit, that again is the word for breath, by the breath of God out of His mouth. That's exactly what Psalm 33 verse 6 says. And I love, when I, whenever I read this, this psalm, do you remember, how many of you saw the Narnia movies? Did any of you see the Narnia movies? And Aslan, here's a picture of Christ. When everything is frozen, when the wicked witch has frozen everything and it's completely covered by us, what does Aslan come and do? He just breathes. He breathes over the ice and it melts the hardness of the ice and everything comes, winter goes and spring comes. That's the breath of God. That's what the breath of God does for you. And that's what the breath of God, the power of the Holy Spirit does for me. Where there is hardness, where there is coldness, where there is ice, where, where, where sin has brought death into our lives, the Holy Spirit comes and breathes. And his life comes. It's a beautiful picture. He brings all things to life. And um, what Jesus really uh, is doing in this, through John here in, in this gospel is, is, is really saying that the Holy Spirit is divine, is the divine person of the Godhead. And he confirms that by calling him the Holy Spirit. And uh, in John's gospel we see that Jesus relates the mission of the Spirit to the will and the purpose of the Father and the Son. What do I mean? Well, if you read through the Gospel of John, you'll see this. John 5 verse 23, John says that the Father sent the Son. Do you remember that the Gospel of John says that? And in John 14 26, John also says it's the Father who will send us the Spirit to do the will of Jesus and to represent Jesus with authority. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your memory all that I have said to you. That's the promise of Jesus in John 14, 26. That's what He says. That's the mission of the Holy Spirit, is to do that in our lives. And so, 
Jesus is saying, just as he had come in his Father's name, on behalf of the Father, acting on behalf of the Father, speaking the words of the Father to us, and doing the work of the Father in our lives, and through all this bearing witness to the goodness of the Father, he's saying, in the same way, the Holy Spirit will come in Jesus' name to act in the world as an agent of Jesus, and to be a witness and a representation of Jesus to us. That's who the Holy Spirit is. And so, the Bible also speaks in chapter 15, in verse 26, in another way. The Bible says that it is the Son who will send the Spirit from the Father to us. That's what Jesus says. As the Father sent the Son into the world, so too will the Son send the Spirit of God into the world. And I'll read it for you. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who comes from the Father, he will also bear witness about me. It's Jesus said, the same way that God sent me, that God the Father sent me, I am giving you the Holy Spirit, and I am sending you the Holy Spirit, and he will bear witness, he will be a witness to you in your life about who I am. That's what Jesus promises us. And so, when we put all of that together, we can see a very simple thing. The Son is subject to the Father, Jesus is subject to the Father, And Jesus was sent to us by the Father in His name to do the will of the Father. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is also subject to the Father because the Holy Spirit is sent by the Father in the name of Jesus to us. And thirdly, the Holy Spirit is subject to both the Father and the Son. For the Spirit is sent to us by Jesus as well as by the Father. And so this is what John is trying to paint a picture for us, this mystery of the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. My point is that Jesus stresses to us that this, the third person of the Trinity, this absolute blessing, comes to us to be with us forever to represent Jesus in our lives and bring us comfort on a daily basis. For me, the tragedy is, is when we look at the church as a whole today, in terms of the whole body of Christ, I'm not sure that you would get that impression if you look at the church. Uh, because the person and the work of Jesus and the person and the work of the Father seem to me to be celebrated and discussed and uh, thought through, but it seems to me the person and the work of the Holy Spirit are largely ignored by the church. And the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is the least talked about, the least thought through of all the Christian doctrines. And I found that, um, I found that uh, a tragedy, really. And um, some theologians have said that actually the Holy Spirit is the Cinderella of the Christian doctrines. The Cinderella. So I think it's a good picture. So I want to put it to you that many of us as Christians are clear about the person and the work of Jesus, but are completely unclear about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so when people talk about the Holy Spirit, it's in a vague sort of cultural way. Uh, you know, the Holy Spirit is this, it's kind of the spiritual stuff of Christianity. It's the kind of little bit mysterious when we pray for people. It's the Holy Spirit. It's kind of described in that very kind of abstract kind of way. Or, people speak about um, the Holy Spirit as the person who inspires great things in the world, good things in the world. You know, that must be the Holy Spirit inspiring people. So it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit um, mysterious. And you know, there were even Christians in Paul's, Paul's day that didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. 
Remember in Ephesians? He meets the church in Ephesus, Acts 19 verse 2, and they say to Paul, they say, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. This, this is the Christians already in Ephesus. They don't even know that there's the Holy Spirit. And so for me it's amazing that we can look at the church and we can see this extraordinary contradiction that there are so many people that carry a burden for Christ, they carry a burden for the work of God, and at the same time care so little for the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Most Christians are aware that there's an incarnation. Uh, and if we didn't have the coming of Jesus, there would have been no forgiveness of sins. There would be no atonement for us. And they understand that if we didn't have that, we would have been lost forever. There would be no Savior. We understand that. But I think there are many of us as Christians that don't have any real idea what a difference it would make if there was no Holy Spirit in the world. I think that's a profound mistake. Um, maybe if we just think a little bit, just think right now, as even I'm, I'm speaking, what would the world be like if there was no Holy Spirit? If Jesus hadn't left the Holy Spirit? And I want to put it to you, and to the point really of doing this series, is this. We can honor Christ, but in a way we can also dishonor Jesus, by dishonoring the one that he sent in his place. You hear what I'm saying? We can honor Jesus, the person of Jesus, we can honor the Father, but really, if we don't honor the Holy Spirit, we are really dishonoring the Father and the Son that sent the Spirit to us. And that would be, that, that would be really insane, wouldn't it? Uh, and I think we should care very deeply and uh, more and more be interested in the Holy Spirit as a person, the first, third person of the Trinity, and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and be concerned to understand how He works, how He brings revelation to us, how He encourages us, all these things that we'd like to explore. And so I'd just like to present three things to you this morning, just in terms of answering that question, what would the, be, the world be like if the Holy Spirit wasn't sent? Well, um, I want to put it to you straight up. The first thing that, would, that we would see is that without the Holy Spirit, there would be no gospel, there would be no Christianity in the world at all. Without the Holy Spirit, there would be no gospel. There would be no New Testament. You know, uh, have you ever thought of like this? Um, Jesus really, I, I, I find Jesus the most incredible leader. The most incredible leader. At the moment he was being betrayed by those that were closest to him, those that he'd walked with for three years, that seen him minister, he's had the Last Supper, he's breaking bread together. At the moment that he's being betrayed by those that are closest to him, he still says, I trust you. And I'm leaving everything to you. That is a remarkable leader. <laughs> that is a remarkable leader. He still leaves his disciples in charge. Even after he's been betrayed by Judas, even though Peter denied him, he still leaves them in charge. Man, that is a confident, secure leader. He says to them in Acts 1.8, You will be my witnesses. I don't know, if it was me, I would have to say, Jesus, are you, are you making a smart move here? Are you really, you really want to be these, these guys to be your witnesses? Why? Because the disciples have never been good students. If you read the Gospels, the disciples just didn't get it. 
Time after time, Jesus says to them, Are you so dull? I mean, he's, he's quite straight with them. He says, Are you so dull? Don't you get it? Uh, can't you see what I'm saying to you? He, he, he paints these pictures in very simple stories, the parables that we know well. And even in, when he's painting simple pictures for his disciples, they still don't get it. And he has to explain to them what he's trying to say. So, they consistently cons- uh, failed to understand who Jesus was, the point of his teaching when he was with them. And so Jesus is quite remarkable when he, when he takes this amazing um, step to trust to them everything that he taught after he was gone. Well, my point is, was that a fair thing to do? I want to say... Um, with all the best will and intentions in the world, they probably would get it all mixed up and wrong and mix it with all thoughts of their own and soon the possibility would be that it would all be a mixed, mash, garbled mess if he had just left them on their own. It would have been because their track record was they didn't understand very much that when he was with them. But he doesn't do that, does he? Jesus is so kind because he says, I'm going to leave you another helper. Exactly like me, the Holy Spirit. And He's going to be with you every single day. And you're going to be able to speak to Him. And you're going to have a relationship with Him. And He's going to be kind to you. And He's going to bring you to repentance. And He's going to show you more of the Father. He's going to show you more of the Son. In exactly the same way as I did it with you, I'm sending you another helper to do the same for you. That's why Jesus can leave confidently and all to these disciples because he's not leaving them on their own to make it up. He is giving them the Holy Spirit. And John 14, 26 says, The Counselor will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Isn't that amazing? And Jesus says, again, he says, don't be anxious when you have to give an account before men of me because I've given you the Holy Spirit and He will show you in the moment He'll, he'll help you to say the right thing. How many of you need to learn to want to say the right thing? <laughs> I don't always say the right thing but God's promise is in the moment when we need it most the Holy Spirit will help us do exactly the right thing with wisdom for the situation. Um, John 16, 12 I have many things to say to you but you cannot bear them now Jesus says but when the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and give it to you this is Jesus speaking about the person of the Holy Spirit He's going to take what is mine. He's going to give it to you. He's not doing it on his own authority. He's representing me. And so God promises to his disciples that it was through the Holy Spirit they would be able to speak the words of Jesus. And I, I love this picture continues because if you think of Paul, this is how Paul describes our salvation in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. He says, As it is written, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. That's what uh, Paul says. And then he says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, the depths of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person and which which is in Him. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Holy Spirit. Who is from God? 
that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. It's beautiful, isn't it? Paul's saying it exactly the same way. We impart um, this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, giving us all spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. I mean, Paul makes it quite clear. This is, this, is, this is part of our salvation, that we have this incredible blessing of the Holy Spirit to be Jesus to us. And so, it was the Holy Spirit that revealed the truth of the Gospel to the Apostles and enabled them to communicate it faithfully. And that's why we have the Gospel. That's why we have the New Testament written down. And we would have neither if the Holy Spirit had not been given to us. And I put it to you that it's still true for us today. The advance of the Gospel continues as we speak by the power of the Holy Spirit the truth of God that is revealed to us in God the Father and God the Son. As we speak that with power, anointed by the Holy Spirit, the Gospel continues to grow and flourish. So that's my first point. Without the work of the Spirit, there would be no Gospel, there would be no Christianity, there would be no New Testament. Secondly, without the work of the Holy Spirit, there would be no faith. There would be no new birth. There would be no Christians. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 says, Although the light of the gospel shines, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. There are people that cannot see the light. Why? The scripture says, the God of this age has blinded them to what God wants to do. And that's why Jesus says to Nicodemus, remember Nicodemus who comes to him and says, talking about being born again, he says, must I go into my mother's womb again to be born again? And Jesus says, no Nicodemus, um, you're misunderstanding it, but you have to be born again by the Spirit of God. And when you are born again by the Spirit of God, you see things from God's perspective. That's a bit of a derisive term now, isn't it, in our culture. Are you a born again Christian? Like it's a... It's like it's a funny kind of Christian. <laughs> There's only one kind of Christian. Those that are born from above. Those that are born by the Spirit. There's only one kind of Christian. True Christian. Isn't it? Those of us that know God because His gift is salvation to us and we are born by the Spirit of God. That's what a Christian is. Someone who's been born from above. And so, um, again, uh, remember that when Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, what he's trying to say that there's a, a religious kind of population all around uh, Nicodemus of people that don't see the light. They're full of religion. They're, they're not living by the Spirit. And that's what God, Jesus is pointing out to him. So, if it's true, the two things that I've said to you this morning, um, what should we do about it? Does that mean then that, that as we preach the gospel, it's um, just a waste of time if people's eyes are blinded to the gospel? Uh, should we write off evangelism and say it's never going to work because all the people out there that have been blinded by the God of this age just can't see? No, obviously not. The, the answer is a resounding no. Why? Because the Holy Spirit abides in the church, lives in the church, to testify to the world about Jesus. The Spirit testifies by revealing to us, by inspiring us, just as He did to the apostles. 
He opens eyes. He opens blind eyes. He restores spiritual vision. He enables that cannot, those that cannot see that are blind. He enables them to see God's truth. And there's that amazing picture. I always think of Paul. Remember when he's on the road, road to um, uh, Damascus and he gets blinded. What, what does it say? It says he, the scales fall off of his eyes. And that's, what, that's the beautiful picture to us of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? That's what He does. He takes the scales away so that we can begin to see. I've had testimonies many times of people that um, have said to me, you know, I read the Bible before I was a Christian. And it's just like, I couldn't understand it. I just didn't know what it was on about. But then I got saved. And now when I read the Scripture, it makes sense. I can see exactly what it's saying. I know exactly what the Scripture is saying. Why is that? Because the scales have gone. The, the scales have gone. The Holy Spirit has brought light, brought revelation, brought understanding. And what was difficult before is not difficult now because we are seeing with the help of the Holy Spirit. Are you still with me? And so, it's good to understand and to be able to speak clearly of what you might believe as a Christian. Um, and that happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. He sovereignly renews our minds enables blind eyes to see. It's he alone that can convince men and women about the heart and the truth of the gospel. And so I put it to you that all our hope is pinned on that. It's the Holy Spirit that brings revelation. There's a great pressure on church to present things very slickly, isn't there? If we can get the presentation right, and the worship just right, and the overheads just right, and the mood just right, the Holy Spirit is going to move. Great pressure in our culture to be like that. And I want to say to you, we want to do our best to have good music and nice presentation and serve you good coffee. But my hope, my complete hope is in the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to all of us. Not on the slickness of the presentation because without the Holy Spirit, we are finished. We might as well sell this building and go and do something else without the Holy Spirit's help because it is completely dependent on His power to transform people's lives. I cannot transform one of you. <laughs> I can't. It's impossible. I can say some stuff that might be helpful, but at the end of the day, the only person that can bring comfort to you, that can help you to see who God the Father is, is the Holy Spirit of God, who is a gift given to every one of us. And as we get to know Him, He brings revelation in every area of our lives. Amen? So I want to say to you then, um, it's not just what I want. <laughs> when I read the scripture, I see it's exactly what Paul wants. And I want to learn from Paul because he wrote most of the New Testament and he planted some amazing churches. This is what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 2, uh, verse 1 to 5. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. For I decided to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. And we think of Paul, this great guy, you know. Yeah, he must have been an amazing man. No, he was a short, half-blind little guy who wasn't confident. That's what the scripture says. 
He says, I came to you in weakness and fear, much trembling, and my speech and my message were not with great words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in my cleverness, in my wisdom, says Paul, and the wisdom of all men, but in the power of God. That's what he says. That's how he says he preached. Not a confidence in himself and his own gifts, although he was incredibly bright, and we can see that he wrote well, he had power. People were healed when he prayed for them. All that stuff. He says, my confidence was not in any of that. My confidence really was in the power of God in you by the person of the Holy Spirit bringing conviction to you. That's all his confidence was in that. So, as I finish, and I, I'm going to ask that we break bread together this morning. In the light of this introduction that I've tried to bring this morning, what should our response be? And I really want to invite you as a church, as we go on a journey together over the next couple of months, to be asking these questions of yourself all the time. I think a fundamental question that we need to ask is this. Do we honor the Holy Spirit by recognizing who He is and recognizing the work that He does? Or, in a way, do we ignore Him and His work and in a sense dishonor Him, and not only Him, but the Father who sent Him. And I think we can do that, not intentionally, but we can do that in a number of areas in our lives. i put it to you in three areas. In our faith, firstly. Do we acknowledge the authority of God's Word, the Scripture, both the Old and the New Testament, as the inspired Word of God to us? And I, I find this personally in terms of um, my own devotions. You know, sometimes when you're reading in the morning or whenever you have your devotion and you read something in the Scripture and it really challenges you and you kind of, you sit there thinking, it can't really mean that. Surely it doesn't mean that. That's just too hard. I mean, that is so difficult. Have you ever had one of those um, things? Uh, Helen's been doing a little devotion if you'd like to follow on the Facebook page. She's been been uh, doing a little devotion out of 1 Peter. Every day she writes a little thing from 1 Peter. And some of the things that Peter says, when you just look at them, they are so incredibly challenging. You think, God, that is just too hard. And I want to say to you, it is too hard. (laughs) Apart from the Holy Spirit enabling us from the inside out. You know, um, for those of you that have been around for a while, we did this whole thing about out of Galatians, the freedom of Christ. And what does Galatians 5 says? The fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, all those things. Uh, you know, when I was preaching that, it was such a challenge to me because I know in myself, I am not naturally kind. I'm not naturally patient. And, and basically Paul's saying all of these things are evidence of the goodness of God in your life and His grace and generosity changing you from the inside out. So if you say it's impossible, I want to say I agree with you. It is impossible to always be patient and kind and forgiving and thinking the best of people. It is impossible apart from the Holy Spirit in us, transforming us, helping us, encouraging us. So, let's honor Him. Let's honor His Word, how we read it, how we receive it, how we respond to it. Because if we do that, we are honoring the Holy Spirit.
Secondly, in our lives, not only in our faith, but in our lives. How do we apply the, the Word of God? Do we really live by it? Do we really recognize that it's true? Are we really asking God to transform us from the inside? If we do that, we honor the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, in our witness to the world. We've been speaking a little bit in the last couple of weeks about the dream that we have to see this God used, this church used powerfully. Uh, to see the community help to see the community transformed. What do we remember as we try and do that? That it's He alone, by His power, that brings life to everything. And He, by His power, through us, authenticates what's happening to the world. I want to encourage you, are we looking to Him every step of the way? Are, Are we trusting Him to do it? And not to give in to the pressure to find an ever-increasingly clever way of presenting the gospel to make it more palatable to a culture that largely wants to be entertained week after week after week after week after week. Well, I want to just put it to you, if we do that, I feel we do dishonor the Holy Spirit. And I want to put it to you, maybe the barrenness that we see in the church at large is a measure of how much the church really dishonors the Holy Spirit. I'm not, I'm not trying to put stuff on you. I'm just trying to say, let's look with, with honesty. And I want to put it to you, the corollary of that is, if we truly learn to honor the Holy Spirit and love the Holy Spirit and glorify the Holy Spirit and worship the Holy Spirit as the third part person of the Trinity and He testifies to us of Jesus and He testifies to us of the goodness of the Father I want to say to you that it can only mean that the church will continue to grow and prosper and see people saved and see people healed and see people delivered as we honor the Holy Spirit more and more and more in our lives. And so my prayer for us as a church, as a, as a local church, is that God would take us on a journey this year. That we would learn more and more to love not only God the Father and God the Son, but also to love the person of the Holy Spirit. And to ask Him to reveal Himself more and more to us. So that we might see all the things that we long for. How many of you in your families have still got family members that you long to see saved? And you've tried everything. Anyone? That's only me. <laughs> because I still have people in my family. I've tried, I've, I've read, I've recommended books, I've tried to do a Christian apologetic, I've talked to them about suffering, I've talked to them about all the things that are issues in their lives, I've tried my best and they are still not saved. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Well, Maybe the last resort should really be our first resort. Maybe we should be saying, getting on our knees as a church and saying, Jesus, we need your Spirit. We need your Holy Spirit to bring conviction. We need your Holy Spirit to bring people to repentance. All those people that I'm trusting for and my friends and my family that seem to be no closer to you, Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us that we might see your kingdom come. Amen? And so I'm inviting you. I don't know how it's going to look. I'm not trying to manufacture anything. But I am just saying this in our times of worship, in our preaching, in our times of ministry. Let it be the prayer of all of our hearts for the Holy Spirit to come and move powerfully. In every, even as we drink coffee together. 
You know, there are those little God moments that happen when you're drinking coffee together and somebody suddenly just opens their heart a little bit and you know it's from the Lord. You know. And sometimes we're so dull, we just drink our coffee. And then we think, oh God, afterwards, they were actually asking me something and I missed it. I'm so sorry, Lord. Yes? <laughs> those little things, even as we drink coffee together, as we meet in our life groups, as we, that we're praying all the time, Jesus, we want your Spirit to help us that Jesus might be glorified in every way. Amen. So let's break bread together. And uh, if you're visiting, you're more than welcome to, um, to join us. I'm going to pray first, and then I'll invite you to come and to take the bread and the wine and share it amongst yourselves. Um, if you're new in the church, we, we, we are not trying to be irreverent in how we do communion. Uh, there are some churches that are do it very formally. What we try is to just, uh, how we break bread in this church is to really celebrate as a family together. And so we want to encourage people to pray with each other, with their friends, and include people. And really, every time we break bread, what we are doing is celebrating what Jesus said we should celebrate. And we remind ourselves every time we break bread that we need the power of the gospel in our own lives on a daily basis. We, we need God to transform us. I always quote Martin Luther who said, before you try and convince anyone else of the gospel, beat it into your own head every single day. <laughs> you must be convinced of your own need of Jesus before you try and tell everyone else they need Jesus. Yeah? And so that's what we do. When we come to the scripture, we say, Jesus, I recognize who I am. I recognize that I need you. I recognize that you need, I need you to transform me from the inside out. And as I take this bread, I remind myself of your body broken for me. As I take this wine, I remind myself of your blood poured out for me, and I need you to come and change me. I recognize that I need my life to be washed clean every single day by the power of your blood. And that's what we do when we break bread together.